Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. You're listening to Adrift with Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port. Now that I've told you, you're welcome to forget it right away and use the space that you have left over to chastise something. doesn't matter what. Hello? Are you listening to me? Everything is amazing. Adrift with Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port. Hello, Annabelle. Um, you look somewhat disturbed when I opened the door to you this morning. Oh, sorry if I looked disturbed. It was just that you appeared to be wearing a T-shirt and boxer shorts. I wasn't disturbed, just more surprised. I, th- I think the boxer shorts in question are more leisure wear than underwear. Okay, and what's the difference? Well, I think <laughs> underwear is, is concealed from public view hmm. and leisure wear is maybe something you wear around the house. Now, I know there should be some degree of professionalism to recording this podcast, but... We're in my house, we're in my loft. I thought, why why not just wear what I would wear? Yeah, it just seemed that you were either in your underwear or wearing very, very short shorts, and you're not really a short shorts kind of guy. I think that's why I was surprised. <laughs> well, the story of these shorts is they were, I believe they were a passive-aggressive present. No, really? Go on. Mm. So I used to crash at my friend's house quite often when I was visiting the town they lived in, which I did a lot back in the day, and they had a spare room where I would sleep and I I am a naked sleeper are you a naked sleeper no I wear pajamas so so what 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 do you think of us naked sleepers do you look look down on us I think it's fine um to maybe put some clothes on when you get out of bed if you're at someone else's house I'm guessing you did that yeah yeah I did but I think they somehow intuited that I was sleeping naked in their spare room didn't Mm. like it right and and bought me these shorts as a message they were a Christmas present but I think they were basically saying (laughs) look you're welcome to stay here but we don't want your bits rubbing all over our sheets. So what's emerging here also is that you're not wearing boxer shorts or leisure wear, you're wearing pyjamas. <laughs> for, for a star, <laughs> that's just the, a, a point I'd like to make initially. <laughs> Would you like to admit that fully? That you are, uh, uh, you're in your, yeah, yeah. You're yeah. in your pyjamas, that's the yeah. truth of the matter. Well, I think they intended them to be pyjamas, right. but I, I have adopted them as, as leisure wear. And did you ever mention this to them? Did you say, oh, thank you, is this because I sleep naked? No. No, of, of course, course not. not. <laughs> of no. course not. But do you think there is a problem in sleeping naked in somebody else's house? Well, I mean, they're going to wash the sheets anyway, aren't they? This is what I think. Yeah. I don't, I don't have a problem with it, no. So then the question becomes, if you take the suspected passive-aggressive element out of it, mm. do you think it is weird to buy your friend underwear? <laughs> I've never bought a friend underwear or pyjamas, so yes. Do you enjoy a house guest? No, I hate a house guest. Mm. It's the mornings that are the worst for me. Okay. Having to make polite conversation with somebody because it takes me two hours from waking up uh, to, to being functional enough to really to interact with another human being. Um, here's, here's a question. When you are a house guest or when you have a house guest, how much responsibility do you feel is on the house guest to keep the room tidy while they're in it? Oh, I'm, I'm terrible. If they don't, I go in there and I do it. I tidy it up. Wow. And, and to the extent that I've packed people's bags for them before. Wow. Yeah, I've tidied the bed, made the bed, put all their stuff in their bag, put everything away. I t- hate, but also because the spare bedroom is also used as an office. 
So I feel like I've got a right. Do you not feel, though, that when they're in your house, it becomes their territory and you can't go in there? No, no. I feel like it's still very much my room. It's my office. I've got work to do and I don't want to look at your knickers on the floor. Do you ever accuse your house guests of treating this house like a bloody hotel? <laughs> no, no. Don't worry. <laughs> now that you're listening, it's happening. Do you know it? Do you like it? When will you be here in the future? I will be here in the future. Adrift with Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port. We would love to hear from you. If you want to share your story with us and your fellow drifters, you can email us hello at adriftpodcast.com. This is from Andrew. Where I work, there's not always someone at the reception desk, so opening the door triggers a little bell. To let fellow employees know that it's just one of us and they don't need to come out, we have to shout something akin to only me as we enter or just me going out as we leave. Some years ago, I walked back into work from lunch, all ready to shout out a cheerful only me when I noticed a customer standing in reception. In the split second, as I attempt to shift gears and ask if they need any assistance, I read from their expression that someone has already seen to them and has just popped out the back for something. But simply walking away doesn't feel like an option. So I make eye contact, smile, and in a whisper that can only be described as creepy, say, only me. <laughs> To their credit, they manage an awkward nod and smile as I stride purposely away to hide. Even if I were able to blank this memory out, I still fairly frequently reflexively shout, me going out when leaving places other than my work, most recently the BP garage after paying for petrol. <laughs> me going out. Oh. oh, that's good. Shyness is nice. Mm -hmm. This is from Carly. When I was in school, my best friend Carla wanted to be a hairdresser, while I, Carly, wanted to be a lawyer. After the blue, I received a call from a local hairdresser offering me some work experience. Instead of saving everybody's time and saying, oh, you must be wanting Carla instead, I meekly accepted the offer and spent a day washing and blow-drying hair, <laughs> sweeping the floor and making very awkward conversation with the clients and staff, too shy to admit there had been a mistake. 20 years later, my friend is a successful hairdresser. I'm neither a hairdresser nor a lawyer and still prone to being shy. <laughs> Anything else? Yes, this is from Chris. I was in my late teens and I started going out with a girl called Claire. She had been my first girlfriend in ages and I was really quite obsessed with her. One night, I'd been out to the cinema with friends for the night, which was only a few miles away from her house. It being pre-internet days and me being smitten, I'd written her a love letter telling her why I thought she was so fantastic. And I thought it would be a great idea to post it through her letterbox for her to see the next morning. I drove down her cul-de-sac and could see her house in the middle of the street. As I got closer, though, I saw her dad leaving the house with their dog. At this point, I panicked. I didn't want him to think I was some kind of stalker, so I did the only thing I could think of to stop him recognising me. I put my head down so he wouldn't see me. With my hand still on the steering wheel, kept driving. I drove like this to the end of the street and then turned off the engine and headlights and hid in the passenger seat well for what seemed like ages. Just as I was beginning to think the coast was clear, there was a knock on the passenger window behind me and peering into the car from the lit street was my girlfriend's dad. <laughs> what are you doing, Chris? He asked. In my panicked state, I'd forgotten he would immediately recognise the number plate and wonder why my car was seemingly driving itself. After all, <laughs> delivering his daughter a letter may have looked a bit soppy, but that must have looked really odd. I mumbled that I was having some car issues. <laughs> <laughs> what issues would lead him to do that? <laughs> and was just trying to listen to the engine closely to check. Although I knew he wouldn't believe that for a second, especially as I think I may have wheel spun away in embarrassment. Oh. Every time he saw me after that, he would always ask me, how's the car, Chris? <laughs> With a knowing smirk on his face. And that would make me relive my embarrassment all over again. Oh, Chris, that was wonderful. <laughs> yeah, Anything you've got on that kind of topic. I mean, it combines a few things that really, doesn't it? It does, um, yeah. But, you know, hiding is a recent favourite of ours. Shyness is nice. Pretending to know what you're doing. Um, so unrequited love gone wrong. I mean, I know that was, that was it was requited because mm. she was, in fact, his girlfriend. Mm -mm. But the 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 attempts you made, uh, the, the person who first broke your tiny little heart, these kinds of things we always love. Um, and just anything on your social ineptness, please email us, hello at adriftpodcast.com. Computer sounds are awesome. 
Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port. Adrift. Odd that we had that email from Carly about her work experience, because mm. this week, Annabelle, uh, you're going to tell us about your work experience experience. I am. So when I left university, the first thing I did was what a lot of people do, work experience. And I wanted to work in television. So I managed to get work experience through my university career centre at the BBC. And it was a very exciting BBC show. And it was a very exciting BBC show, Watchdog, Value for Money, a spin-off of the consumer show Watchdog. So exciting that I think there was just one, maybe two series. But the best thing about it, presented by Vanessa Feltz. Uh-huh. Now, I've told you my Vanessa Feltz story before, and I will come back to that, as it's <laughs> worth repeating many, many times in my eyes. Never gets old. No, but I don't think I've told you anything else about this experience no. of mine. So before I go on, and by way of explanation of what I'm about to tell you, like you, Jeff, I'm not from a media family. My mum, when I was growing up, was a medical secretary. My dad was a lone dolphin, meaning that he gave small loans but didn't break any kneecaps. <laughs> His dad was a bookie at Walthamstow Dogs. My mum's dad was in the army. There's nothing glitzy going on there. Yeah. All very nice middle class jobs, but the media is another world. The closest I got, and it was much talked about in my family, was that my cousin once did two weeks work experience at Sotheby's. But... <laughs> I wanted to work. Get you anywhere near close to the world of media? It's glitzy, right? Okay, yeah. Sotheby's money, that kind of thing. So I'd wanted to work in television because I'd loved Trevor and Simon on Saturday morning TV. And as far as I could work out, you get paid to dick about. I thought that looks good. I want to do that. So I get this two-week work experience placement, and I've just left university, and I have no idea what you're supposed to wear. And my mum, who'd worked in offices all her life, ascertained that I'd be at television centre and therefore in an office. So I needed office clothes. So she very sweetly took me out and bought me office wear. Like I had a shift dress, smart skirt, a blouse, a blazer, smart shoes. And I turned up on my first day in my skirt and blouse and my smart shoes. And I knew from the very second that the lady who came to collect me from reception that I'd made a terrible mistake. Firstly, she was just in T-shirt, jeans, trainers. Secondly, it was all in her look, the way she very quickly looked me up and down. And the look, not unkind, was just pitying. (laughs) And I knew I had to be taken up to the office to face this look another 20 times or so, which I did. So you'd think that the next day I'd turn up in my casual clothes. Yes. But I didn't because I couldn't quite bear to admit I'd made a mistake. And I kind of tried to style it out that these were just like the kind of clothes I wore. It was my style. Mumcore. <laughs> yeah. But I very gradually phased out the smartness. So I'd initially add trainers to the shift dress or wear the blazer with G's. Mm. And until the second week, I'd phased it out completely and I was just wearing my completely normal clothes again. The other bad thing was that there was a company car assigned to the show and it got used for things like driving to shoots and picking stuff up and also driving producers to an edit suite, which from memory was on some kind of industrial estate about 30 minutes drive away. Now, I'd learned to drive at 17 and then in the six months or so before I'd left home, I'd been insured on my mum's car, which, you know, I'd drive to friends' houses kind of 15 minutes or so away. But in truth, I'd probably only had, I don't know, maybe 20 hours of driving experience and just driving about town in South End. So when I was asked by a senior producer if I could drive, I wasn't lying when I said yes, but I probably should have added that I was a very inexperienced driver and had only ever driven a Renault 5, but I didn't. And I had to drive her to the edit suite, which involved a hair-raising and very shaky journey through London and then onto a motorway, which was so terrifying for both of us (laughs) that she said to me, have you ever driven on a motorway before? And I said, no. And she said, would you mind pulling over whenever you can, but as soon as possible, please? (laughs) And then she made me get out and she took over the driving. So this and my general ineptitude was in stark contrast to the other girl who was on work experience at the same time as me. Her name was Daisy Donovan, who went on to be quite famous. She had her own TV show, didn't she? Yeah. And she was beloved at Watchdog. As far as I could see, everyone really sucked up to her because she had a famous dad and a famous brother. Her dad was Terence Donovan and her brother was in Big Audio Dynamite. I didn't know that. Yes, and married to Patsy Kenzie. Right. And she didn't wear the wrong clothes on her first day. And everyone wanted to eat lunch with her, even senior staff. And by her second week of work experience, she was getting her own mail. She was everything I wasn't. I did make it onto television, though, because the reporter, Chris Choi, lovely man, was filming a piece to camera at a shopping centre and they put me in the background drinking coffee. 
And I took their instructions to drink coffee a bit too seriously because when I watched it, I saw that I was taking approximately three sips a second in a rather unnatural (laughs) way. This was my biggest achievement, though. And on the last day, I got sent home in the morning as I was really ill, which felt like a fitting end to my TV career. But I did get my Vanessa Felt story out of it. One of the other work experience girls had been on a shoot with Vanessa and they'd had to go to some field somewhere and she was instructed to queue up at the catering tent to get Vanessa some lunch and she queued for ages and then she brought the food to Vanessa who took one look and boomed, more meat! (laughs) So, all totally worth it for that. You're adrift. Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port. Everything that you always wanted... And a friend that was with you all the time who is also watching you closely judging. Well, we're pretty sure that this is going to be Annabelle's final podcast before you give birth. Yeah. Um, it, it looks like you're going to be off for a little while now. Mm-hmm. And I will be unveiling my contingency plan mm. next week. Exciting. It's because I don't know what it, what I, it is yet. I strongly suspect as much. Yeah. That's why I didn't ask. Who is it? Oh, nothing. <laughs> yeah, you, you're going to be a mother. You're going to have this extra mouth to feed. Mm. And you know what would come in very handy? Money. Money. That's right. Um, so if you would like to pledge a little bit of cash so that Annabelle's newborn baby doesn't become malnourished <laughs> yes please yeah. like it'd be awful you know if um, it was taken away from you by social services that yeah after everything i think that would be quite bad <laughs> yes, yes. You, know, you, you had quite the time of it getting to this thing <laughs> yeah it got so, taken away on day two because yeah, it's hungry that, yeah. that wouldn't be great no. so um if, if you could pledge a little money to our patreon page that would be wonderful uh, we've got various rewards on there they start at just one us dollar a month so if you go to patreon.com stroke adrift, you will find details of how to do so. It's extremely easy and it's very much appreciated. How long is your short list of names at the moment? Uh, I've got 10 names, six boys, four girls. Okay. And w- you're not going to be one of these people who doesn't give the kid a name for a week. I hate myself because I hate those people. I always think, look, you've had months to think about this. Why, why, why are you saying you don't know it straight away? But I am going to be that person. I, I think you're just going to see it and, and one of those names will fit. But even if it doesn't, just pick one. Don't yeah. don't be that person. Yeah, okay. Adrift. Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port. If you get close enough, you can... Taste the freshness. So my wife and I celebrated our wedding anniversary somewhat recently, and we went out in the evening. Now, for a a number of reasons, some of them to do with my stuff to do with uh, socialising, and other ones down to the practicalities of having a little baby. We don't go out in the evening very often. Um, So we were quite excited. We got dolled up, and I booked us a table at this new restaurant that I'd heard a lot about. Oh, exciting. And and from what I'd read in the reviews, the restaurant was really good food and quite happening. It was a trendy spot. So we turn up there and you can tell it's fancy when you get there because they've got an area separate from the restaurant where you can go and have a drink first. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, so, so you do that. I'll tell you what always makes me feel uncomfortable is when they come and get you for your table and they say, would you like me to carry your drinks through? Oh, yes. I, I'm perfectly capable of carrying my own drink. But you're you? there with a <laughs> Really? <laughs> but they're there with a tray and you feel like you're not letting them do their job. Yeah, yeah. If so, so anyway, we get shown down and the restaurant is down some stairs and then we go through these doors and it is this great room. You know when a place just has atmosphere, there's a bit of live music playing, um, the design of the place is great, everyone in there looks cool and there's there's... Enough of a bustle that it feels like there's an atmosphere, but not so much that you're um, resenting people from laughing too loudly. Mm, yeah. There's a nice but So I think this, this is going to be great. And I'm trying to work out which table they're going to put us on. I spot a few empty tables. And it'd be nice to sit there in the corner, but they don't take us to that. And they keep leading us through the restaurant and they lead us through. They lead us through. Oh, they lead sorry. us through some other doors. No. They lead us into an adjoining room. They lead us right the way to the back of an adjoining room. No. The adjoining room has no atmosphere. No. 
And we're as, I mean, it's like being in Siberia. We are as far away from the good bit of the restaurant as possible. Oh. So I'm upset. It's, it's, we're celebrating our wedding anniversary and we've been really looking forward to, to this night out. So I I say, as they sit us down, I say, Oh, I don't mean to be difficult, but is there any chance we, we could sit in the main room? And the guy says, Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. It's, um, it's fully booked in there. Hmm. I'm thinking, well, we definitely passed some empty tables yeah. on the way in. Yeah. How are you prioritising who gets to sit in there? And also you've reserved, right? Yeah, we'd made a yeah. reservation yeah. some time previously. Yeah. And and I then get it in my head that we're not cool enough to sit in, oh, the, in the main room. No, that you've been sort of sent to somewhere where people don't have to see you. Yeah. No. So I'm, I'm sitting there glaring. I'm saying to my wife, they don't think we're cool enough to sit in that main room. Oh. She's saying, you're, you're being ridiculous. Um, I'll go and talk to them. She goes and talks to them and asks if there's any chance we could move. Hmm. I say, I'm, I'm sorry, it's really busy. I mean, if you were here later in the evening or earlier in the evening, you could have one of these tables, but it is, we're, we're really busy. So she comes back. And in the time that she's been gone, I have been quietly assessing the people in this adjoining room, this, hmm. this, this, this shed bolted onto the main restaurant. Um, and I become convinced that we are like the um, with the misfits with the broken biscuits. No, so they're your people. With the rejects, yeah, oh, and all the beautiful people are in the no. other room. And my wife is saying this isn't the case, and she's pointing to individual people and saying, "Do you th- do you think do you think they're not cool enough to be in the other room?" <laughs> and I'm sort of thinking, "Yeah, I, I don't think they are." <laughs> so now you're making that judgment. <laughs> But if it was my restaurant, I wouldn't be doing oh, no. that. I wouldn't be separating people into sheep and goats like oh. that. So, so I'm very upset by this. And and there there is a whole palaver where we are about to leave and go to a different restaurant. Oh, and really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, because she says your your mood is so bad at this point. We're not going to have a good e- evening in here. Oh, so why don't we just reboot and go to a different restaurant? Yeah. So. I say, okay, I'll, I'll go out and phone some places. No. So I go out with my mobile phone while she asks for the bill for the drinks we've had. And then I get a phone call from her saying, oh, it's okay, you can come back. Um, they found us a table at the main restaurant. Oh, funny that, when you're about to leave. Isn't that funny? No. And anyway, uh, like I say, long story short, too late. They sit us in the main restaurant yeah. and they sit us so close to the live music we can't hear each other speak. <laughs> And it's also, you know, when you're too close to live music and you've got eye contact with the musicians. Oh. And and even though I think these guys are really enjoying playing in the restaurant, I do sometimes think there's something tragic about being a musician doing a performance when people are just eating and talking oh. and not paying attention to oh, you. Oh, no. So it ends up being very uncomfortable from uh, from start to finish. But it has made me paranoid about whether restaurants do that and how they're choosing who gets to sit at the good tables and who gets excluded into the social wilderness. Yeah, do they, for example, put the beautiful people by the window? Yeah, that, which is what I would do. <laughs> Say, look who's in here. Yeah. If I had a restaurant and famous people were eating it, oh, I'd put them in the window. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I always thought if I had a restaurant and famous people ate there, you like you hear this ivy in London, mm. um, I would let them eat free on the condition that at 10 o'clock every night you sound a gong and they all have to parade around the restaurant <laughs> for everybody to get a look at them. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely, yeah. So this week I wanted to find out just what is going on in restaurants and who gets to sit at the good tables in this week's The Incident. The first person I talked to is my wife, Sarah, to see if her version of events tallies up with mine. Well, it wasn't a horrible room. What it was was not, clearly not the good room. But it felt to me like that you've got this restaurant with good atmosphere and then they bolted on a static caravan on the side of it. Like yes, an overflow. yes, that is all that is all true. But I'm just saying that like the decor was really nice and we were sat side by side. So we both were facing out into the room. So why doesn't this stuff get at you in the way that it gets at me? OK, so I think I think the first thing is your alcoholism. So I think that's because like your thing is you can't go for a drink. Mm -hmm. So you go for a bite to eat and that becomes your big reward. Mm -hmm. Right. It's my big treat. It's your big treat. And so it was like you put so much emphasis on a night out like it has to be perfect but we'd also put the preparation in. we booked it some time before yeah right? and then and then that, but but you're just saying why does it so it's not that it doesn't get to me the question is like why doesn't it get to me like it gets to you like you were genuinely almost gonna you 
in a you almost cried. Do you really think I almost cried? You I didn't. think I was, I was definitely glowering, but I don't know if that's the same as being teary. No, but it could. Like if I had said a couple of things, you would have done the thing where you would have been like, "It's it's really hard for me right now to not." <laughs> Because you would have, it would have been about you not feeling successful and questioning, you know, all the crap that you get up to. It's never enough. So what about when you used to work in restaurants? Like, how often is there a correlation between the type of person who wants to change table and the type of person who is generally difficult throughout a meal? I think, let's say 50-50. Okay. Like, I I don't think it's the mark of an inevitably difficult person. you are difficult, but I think in a restaurant, actually, you're not. It's just like it's to me. Oh, may I? I'm having this. I'm very out. nice in a restaurant you're because very I'm so, I'm so, nice I'm so needy to be liked. Exactly. I mean, I'm I'm apologetic if nothing else. Yes, but in a, yeah, 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 you were. But sometimes I think your apolog your apologeticness mm. can you you're so in your because you're, you're all your wheels are already spinning and you're going. This is not how this is. I want to. This is not what I wanted. This is not going perfectly. This is not to plan that it comes out as a little hostile. Like as your wife, I know it's just about you getting into your head, but it can come. That's why I always say, can I speak to them? Because I think I'll be in control of my tone and you're already like, um, I'm, I don't, I don't want to be difficult, but it would be like sometimes something that could register, not as hostility, but as like a guy who's got some stuff that can creep into your voice. But that's a fairly accurate description. Yeah. But you're not rude. Fred Syriax is Britain's best-loved mate d You probably know him from Channel 4's First Dates and First Dates Hotel. He also has a new book, Secret Service, Lifting the Lid on the Restaurant World, out this week. I told him my story, and this was his reaction. You know, the experience that you will have is about the whole thing. It's not just about the food, it's, it's about everything. And, and it's about everything that you touch, see and feel. And obviously what you felt was wrong and therefore the experience that you had was, was wrong. Yeah. Now, it may be, you know, that, you know, they were, they were going to be, they were too busy and they had to start filling up that room and you were therefore the first one. But what they could have done is made you understand what, is, what was happening and why they were doing that. Uh, without going into operational detail, but just to make you feel good and to make you feel at ease and not to make you feel like a second-class citizen. Because I really did feel like a second-class citizen. I was trying to look at the other people in this room and think, is everybody in this room uncool and everybody in the other room is cool? I became very paranoid about it. So, you know, when you go to a place and um, there are empty tables and you you get sat down at a table which isn't good and you say, excuse me, could I, I sit there, please? And people say, oh, that one's already reserved. How many customers are really asking for specific tables when they make reservations? Well, some people ask for specific tables. I mean, my restaurant, for example, at Galvina Windows, on top of London, on Park Lane, I mean, obviously on the 28th floor, overlooking Hyde Park, overlooking the whole of London, and everybody wants a Windows table, you know? And this is why it was designed with a raised area, so everybody gets a view. But of course, everybody wants that table in the corner there. But we only have so many. So we do not allocate tables in advance, we allocate them on the day. So um, there is an operational constraint there because I can't just sit everybody on uh, the window table at once because that means that the waiter on the station would have all the work to be done at once. When you are sitting customers in a restaurant, you've got to think that you've got to do what I call the one, two, three, four, like a vault, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. And it's about making sure that you seat people in each station one at a time so that uh, every waiter has got the same amount of customers at any given time and they can deliver the vision and the values of the place. Right. So when a customer asks to move table, do you automatically think they must be a pain in the ass? No. If we can, we do it. If we can, we do it because we are in the business of looking after people and making them feel special. And so if somebody wants to move table, of course we do it if we can and if we have a table. And nothing is too much for us. And this is what any good restaurant would do. I mean, there is one thing I want to mention. You know, it's very interesting. You know, sometimes uh, people say, do you have a table for me next week? Do you have a table on that day or that day? You know, and when I hear rest- restaurants, you know, for example, say, no, I can't give you, if I go to a restaurant, I'm going to say, oh, we don't have a table right now. And I think, how can you not have a table? There's 200 seats in a restaurant. It's impossible because you always find a table. And if you don't have one, I tell you what, you call a carpenter and you make one. <laughs> 
<laughs> Can I ask you one final question? Sure. Why, why are restaurant tables always wobbly? They're not always wobbly. They're always wobbly. <laughs> no, sometimes tables are wobbly because, you know, I mean, it's like a car. You need to just uh, uh, fine-tune a car. You need to just screw back the tables because they just, they just get loose all the time. But the art of uh, a good service means that a good restaurant manager will go around the table and think about what I told you before. It's about the qualities, about everything you see, touch, and feel. And therefore, the table and whether they are wobbly or not is a very important point. Nimrod Kamer is a gonzo journalist who prides himself on social climbing and infiltrating prestigious clubs and restaurants. You should never, never book in advance. Don't think that if you would book like two weeks, it's like only losers book in advance. It's totally passe. You should just show up and do what I tell you. Okay, so what, what should I do then? The most basic thing is to always say that the, there's another imaginary person coming. Right. Like, never be two. If you're three people, for example, and not two, most likely you'll get a better table. Because tables for two are always, like, bad. Yeah. You want the big tables. And then always say, he's coming, he's coming, we can start ordering. That's, like, the, the basic thing. Okay. But what I do is I read Lunch with the FD. It's a Financial Times segment every Saturday. Yes. They take someone to lunch every Saturday. They publish the restaurant and the menu. And the person the Financial Times takes for lunch, they are always a household name in the restaurant that they choose. Right. Like, for example, Alan Yentob, the BBC exec, he always he went to cafe, uh, River Cafe. And Alan Yentob is always there. And every time in the FD, they, the person chooses the place they go to the most. So you go to eat from now on only in restaurants that are in lunch with the Financial Times. So, and then so, 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 so but you, there's, there's yeah. got to be a trick here. What's, what's, what's the and trick? And then when you go to the restaurant, you say, I'm meeting that person. He's coming. He's on his way. Right. Like you go, I went to, cafe, uh, to River Cafe last mm-hmm. week and I said, yeah, I'm meeting Alan Yentob. He's on his way. And then obviously that name is much better name than any celebrity because they know this is the person that is like the most frequent and respected customer of the, of the and he, he always comes without booking. Right. So, so tell me what happens next then. And then they sit you in the best table because they think Alan Yentob is join, joining you. <laughs> yeah. And then you, you start ordering. So once you order, they can't like uh, move you or like anything. And then you keep saying, hey, he's on his way, he's calling me. You put like a name on your contact list that says that person's name. Mm-hmm. Then you show them your phone, like he's all, almost coming. <laughs> and then you always keep an empty chair for the person mm-hmm. who was in lunch with FT. And then eventually you say, oh, he told me that he's going to meet me in his house, so I'm going to have to get the bill. So what if you turned up at the River Cafe and said, I'm meeting Alan Yentob, and mm-hmm. they said, oh, that's great, he's already here, I'll show you to his table. Interesting. Yeah, so then that's a good one. Then you can pretend to know him and he might think that you do because you keep quoting to him stuff that you read in the Financial Times <laughs> and you just sit next to him, see what happens. Am I right in thinking you are somebody with no feelings of shame or awkwardness? Well, in this economy, you need to be shameless. Yeah. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is warm and friendly, and you like it. And that's why you're here. You were the one that pressed play after all, with your thumb. Adrift, with Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port. You have a lovely thumb. Okay, you got something arising from a previous episode then. Yes, Luke says, I listened to Jeff about the pressure of opening the train doors. I, like Jeff, like to be quick. I like to be seen by the carriage as their leader and constantly worrying about the ever-coming mutiny. However, when the train comes to its stop, I hold my hand over the button and while my finger looks like I'm waiting for the noise and will perfectly execute the door opening with precision, meanwhile, my thumb is holding the button to make sure it will open at its first available chance. Very good. Lead on, Macduff, I exclaim in my head. (laughs) The thing you've got to be careful of, though, is getting up too far before the stop 
Because oh, you look unprofessional. Very amateur. You look like a rube, oh. an out-of-towner who yeah. doesn't know. Yeah. What's that? We're the, the, the next stop will be Cockfosters. Oh. All right, I'll get up now then. No, you wait until you hear the brakes before you stand up. Last moment. Yeah, you be. look like a bumpkin. Yeah. Um, if you've got anything uh, arising from previous episodes, email us, hello at adriftpodcast.com. Don't forget, we would love you to rate and review us on iTunes if you're an iTunes user. I know I bang on about this all the time, but it really helps us. And if you don't mind, try introducing somebody else to this programme. Mm. I mean, what you could do is send us their details and then we could do a little section where we beg them to listen. Oh, yeah, begging's always nice, Yeah. <laughs> This is part of my trouble in life. I think I think people can smell the neediness on me. <laughs> Maybe we need to lay off this stuff. Jeff, Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port. Germans. Drift. Annabelle, I gave you a little ding-a-ling on your telephone the other day, and this is how the conversation went. Hello? Hi, it's me. Hi, are you right? Yeah, I'm all right. You? Yeah, good, thanks. Yeah. Your ankle's all swollen up yet? <laughs> no, they're fine. Yeah. Is that something that happens to pregnant ladies? I hear that. Um, so I've been thinking about after the baby comes, some, something that you'll be able to do from home so you feel you've got an identity other than just mother. Mm, yeah. I was thinking, why don't you start a fan club? <laughs> why don't I start a fan club? It's such a good question. <laughs> Such that you can do that. Anything in particular, or just uh, something uh, of my own choosing? Uh, of your own choosing is fine. Okay, great, I'll do it. So, how did you get on? Well, I was thinking, what about if I did a fan club for something unpopular, like an underdog of the world, something quite niche, like, for example, the stringy bit that goes down the side of a banana. Do you know what I mean? I do, yes. Do you like those bits? I do not. I do not enjoy mm. a banana, so I'm not the target ah, audience here. yeah. But I think that they really are the underdog. Mm. Apparently, they're called phlegm bundles. How are you spelling that? P-H-L-O-E-M. Okay, so not like phlegm. No, no, similar. And apparently, they distribute nutrition around the fruit. I sort of feel like I don't need it to be distributed. Like, have it all at the end. It makes no difference to me. Do you ever somebody once told us that you're supposed to eat a banana horizontally? Yes, because it tastes better. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, eat it like a smile. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But for the people that do love the stringy bits, and I'm sure there must be some of them, this is going to be a wonderful fan club, so this is for them. Now, I'm not entirely sure what I'm supposed to do now, so I think back to the only fan club I've ever been a member of, which was the Dandy Fan Club, the rival comic to the Beano. Mm. And you remember you got a badge, which was something about desperate Dan and a cow pie. Why didn't he just call it a beef pie? Like if no one told him. Did he also say sheep chops instead of lamb chops and pig lettuce and tomato sandwich? I mean, I respect him for not trying to distance himself from the animal. But anyway, a badge, definitely. Mm-hmm. And there was a secret password that you'd say to other members, like some kind of call and response. You'd say something and they'd know what to say right. back. So I was never in the dandy one. I was in the Beano one, but I don't want to say the password here because um, I don't want to give it away to non-members. Top secret. Yes. Quite right. Yeah. So now all I need to do is get out there and find members. And I know what they're doing. They're buying bananas, aren't they? Yes. First of all, though, I make a leaflet all about the fan club. I do it on Word so it looks professional. And I put banana string fan club at the top. And I write the banana bit in yellow, which felt like a good idea until I printed it out. But then from a distance, it just looks like it says string fan club. Now (laughs) yellow doesn't really show up. I put a picture of a banana either side to jazz it up. Then I write, do you like the stringy bit that runs down the side of a banana? Then join the banana string fan club. There are many, many benefits. These benefits are a badge and a secret coded message to use with other members. You say, stringy, stringy. They say, yum, yum, banana. We'll meet once every five years to talk about banana strings. That feels about as much as I can cope with. For more information and to join, please email bananastringybit at gmail.com. That was available. (laughs) I'm ready to go out and meet the banana string fans. Now, I go first to one of these international supermarkets and it's really cold, it's raining, and there are a lot of little flies inside. And I'm standing by the bananas, waiting for someone to come to indicate they are a fan by buying some. And I'm waiting a very long time. My mind starts to drift to people with normal jobs where they do stuff like have a salary and almost <laughs> certainly on maternity leave at this stage of being pregnant. <laughs> And I'm really 
questioning my life choices and nobody is buying bananas. So what I do is I fold some of my leaflets up and I tuck them into some of the bunches. Uh And I'm genuinely not sure what would be more terrifying, finding this note or a tarantula. (laughs) I move on to an M&S food tool now and I go to the fruit bit and there are no bananas. There's not even an empty bit where the bananas would normally be. And I start to worry that I've lost my mind and like maybe bananas never existed and my brain just (laughs) made them up. So I go and ask someone who works there and it turns out bananas have got their own stand near the other fruit. It feels a bit like banana apartheid to me. But I take a chance and I ask the man who shows me if he likes bananas and he smiles and nods. Maybe he'd like to join my banana string fan club, I suggest to him. He smiles and he takes the leaflet that I'm pressing into his hand and then he walks off really quickly before I have a chance to explain any further. So I wait around the stand for a bit. Nobody comes near. Although I suppose they are weirdly hard to find. So I tuck a few more of the leaflets into bunches and then I go to Sainsbury's. <laughs> and after I've waited by the bananas there for quite some time, a lady does come and start looking at them. So I pounce. <laughs> Do you like the stringy bit on the banana? I ask her. She looks at me and then says, no. And I really feel like she took some time to judge what the best answer was to get rid of me. <laughs> she chose right as it turned out. And nobody else is buying bananas. And I'm starting to feel pretty doubtful of the fact that bananas are the UK's favourite fruit. I'm also starting to get what I'm paranoid are labour pains now. (laughs) And of all the things I didn't expect was to go into labour while holding several leaflets saying Banana String Fan Club. It's funny what life throws up, isn't it? So I get rid of the rest of the leaflets in the bunches and I go home and I have a bath and it's all fine. It's just a false alarm. And it's not over because now I've just got to wait for all those emails to come flooding in from all those leaflets I hid. And also I can try out the secret coded message. So I go back to Sainsbury's a few days later. I go to the bananas and to the first person I see, I say, stringy, stringy. (laughs) I never want to think again about their face, (laughs) ever. I don't have to think about what they said because they didn't say anything. They just walked off. And I say hopefully after them, yum, yum, banana, just in case they'd forgotten it. But listen, fan clubs don't happen overnight. I didn't get any emails. And that was episode nine of our podcast. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoy our show, please pledge a little money at patreon.com stroke adrift. We also welcome iTunes ratings and reviews as payment in kind. If you have a story to share, we'd love to hear it. Don't be afraid. You're amongst friends and like-minded individuals. Hello at adriftpodcast.com. Thanks to the brilliant Man and the Echo for the backing music. Their self-titled debut album is brilliant. If you haven't heard it yet, what are you waiting for? Thanks also to Emily Harrison for the incidental music. And advising me on the incident this week were Fred Syriax. His new book is called Secret Service, Lifting the Lid on the Restaurant World. If you've ever wanted to know what really goes on in restaurants, it's all in there. It includes how to get a table when somewhere is fully booked. It'll tell you how to spot when your waiter is trying to do the hard sell on you. This would be a great gift for anyone who calls themselves a foodie. It's out this week. Nimrod Kamer, his book, The Social Climber's Handbook, is out next year. In the meantime, you can find his writing for Vice and GQ online. And my wife, Sarah, uh, she won't let me plug anything she's doing, but I'm sure she wouldn't mind for me to tell you to follow her on Twitter. She is Sarah Barron. That's Sarah with no H, Barron with a double R. Vince Lynch and Simon Wilcox provided our idents and voiceovers. Patrick Gunning and Iwana Babu provided technical support. Our artwork was designed by Kim Rainey and Carla Gowlett took the photos. Please, if you know anyone that you think would like our podcast, tell them about it. Yes, it might be an awkward conversation, but at least it gives you something to use for small talk. And finally, thanks to Annabelle for being so laid back about what point in pregnancy it's appropriate to stop working. Adrift. Adrift.
Okay, on to the podications. This comes from Donna, who says, Hey up, Annabelle and Jeff. Hey up. up. Greetings from sunny Bradford. I'm so pleased you've got your new podcast up and running. It's not that I missed your podcast, but I lack new and interesting podcasts to listen to based on your recommendations. (laughs) Okay, right. (laughs) I recommend Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and me. Um, So after years of procrastination and having nothing much to say, which is still the case, I'm getting around to request a podication. Please, can you podicate this episode to Matt, my future husband? I would say fiancé, but I've never really got on with that word. Oh, it is an awful word, Terrible isn't it? Terrible word. Yeah. They need to think of a new one. Um, I'll tell you what else is bad, though. Betrothed. <laughs> no one says that. My mum would say that. Oh. Yeah. Um, after nearly 12 years, we are getting married on the 21st of October in the Lake District with all our friends and family there. So a podication any time before then would be great. If not, no worries. Matt like many others, has awareness of your existence, but doesn't listen himself. But to be fair, he doesn't listen to any podcasts, so I'm not sure if this one will open his eyes to the world of podcasting. Mm. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, It's not a gateway drug, is it? (laughs) That's not, no. I don't think I'll make him listen to the whole podcast, but I'm sure I can get him to hear this bit. He puts up with my laziness and sarcasm, and in return, I endeavour to make him laugh every day with silliness and occasional wit. I think you'll disagree about the wit part. Sometimes the laughter is with me, and sometimes it's at me. I'll take either. He also makes me laugh every day. I mean, what more can you want in a, in a relationship? Nothing really? more. No. Um, we don't argue much, but do disagree as to what dog we're going to get when we're in a position to look after one. He wants a spaniel and I want something bigger that has a deep, assertive woof. (laughs) I'm sure whatever we get will reflect our personalities, probably include my ability to make a mess in the kitchen, but not in quite the same way a dog would create create a mess. Glad Mm. glad to hear it. Very glad. Um, I I was trying to remember then, if I sounded a bit distracted, what are those... French Pyrenean sheepdogs called. They're, they look they look great. They look like um, Muppets. Oh. Let me try and Google it now while we're talking. I what think, what I think, made you think of them? Have they got a deep woof? I think they've got a deep woof, and I think that I just get the impression that uh, whatever Donna wants in a dog, I think um, I think this is going to be the... I think this is going to be the thing. This could be a, a new money-making thing, a dog matchmaking service where you match breeds to owners. Hang on, this isn't the one I was thinking um. of. Or is it the one I was thinking of? Oh, there's one There's one that begins... Oh, here we go, Briard. I think maybe that's it. Briard. Yeah, okay, okay, here we want. B-R-I-A-R-D. That one there, look at that. Oh, it's gorgeous. That dog is going to have a deep woof. And it looks very slobbery. Yeah, substa- that is a substantial dog. Yeah. Um. There's my recommendation. Yeah, okay, that that's a deal, Annabelle. That is a good new feature. If you want a dog <laughs> recommending, I will tell you which breed you should get. Great. I don't know how many rescue briards there would be. No, you, well, I don't but, know either. You know, maybe you need to go to the Pyrenees mm. and see. Um, where are we up to? We've been talking about getting married for something like 10 years. Many believed it would never happen, but the date is fast approaching and there is no going back. There is but I'm not giving us that option. Uh, I just wanted to say that I love him very much and we still try to make him, and we'll still try to make him laugh every day and we'll sometimes do housework. There's no Simon Bates, our tune story going on or anything that will be vaguely interesting to anyone else, but we work well together and look forward to spending the rest of my life with him. That's lovely. This is coming from someone who doesn't do soppy, so this is incredibly rare for me to do something like this. You cherish that. You, Mm. You cherish that, Matt. I think I've managed to keep this short enough not to bore the pants off everyone, as I can't think of funny anecdotes right now, certainly not broadcastable ones. I don't know. I think this was a strong email. Yeah, we got enjoyed. real insight into your relationship. I think we really got a sense of who you are as a person, that you've got a big heart, but you don't necessarily like to let it show. Yeah. You want to cover it with glib remarks. Mm-hmm. And I think my recommendation of a dog was <laughs> really excellent. So all in all. It's it's been a successful email. Uh, she says all the best, and I look forward to listening to more of your newish, averageish podcast. P.S. Congratulations to Annabelle on her news, and sorry to Lynn B at Ploppy One on Twitter. My spoiler alert tweet was purely meant in jest, and her tweet was the one on my timeline at the time. 
Oh, it's a spoiler, yeah. dear. Hopefully received that. Hopefully received that way, as I know, fellow podcast listeners are a different class of person. <laughs> you are. I think yeah. that is true. Um, and then this one. Oh, this is good size print. Um, is it because it's massive? Yes. This comes from Brenda, who says, Hello, Jeff and Annabelle. Hello. Hello. I would like to request a publication to my two cats, Harry and Deacon. I listen to your podcast on Absolute Radio, and I'm happy that your new podcast did not suffer the same fate as the space ice cream. <laughs> Uh, I'll continue my habit of podicating to my pets. They're both good boys. I would also like to podicate it to all the other drifters that, like me, don't know anyone else who listens to the podcast. Since your podcast is now a weekly, on your suggestion, Jeff, I will start on the S-Town podcast when I get back from my holiday. Mm. Thank you. And uh, thank you for all the entertaining stories. Peace and love. Brenda, on S-Town, I went to a talk the other night where the, the fellow who produced that um, explained how he did it and the amount of fact checking they do oh really it's oh, it's insane oh. they don't need to do that much fact checking really like every word in the narration is fact checked oh god every interview that people ring back the interviewee and go through everything they've said is that to stop them being sued I don't know I think it's probably just good journalism oh but... <laughs> right I didn't know about that yeah. um Brent says I also have a story for you a while back I did an exam for the next belt in martial arts and at the ceremony, our sensei was telling another girl that she passed the exam. Sorry. And at the ceremony, as our sensei was telling another girl that she passed the exam, I felt a sneeze coming on. Not wanting to disrupt the ceremony, I tried to keep the sneeze in. However, it didn't work and came out sounding like a snort of derision. Oh, no. <laughs> oh. So afterwards, I had to go up to the girl to tell her that it was a sneeze and not a snort. <laughs> oh. Only to find out that she hadn't even heard me. <laughs> So great. That's oh. wonderful. So the latest edition of the podcast is podicated to Brenda's cats, Harry and Deacon. Thank you for the photos of those. Those are, those are very, um, they seem to have a good relationship, those cats. They're cuddling, yeah. They and to Matt in Bradford from Donna. That's the latest edition of the podcast. And if you would like a podcast uh, dedicating to you, email hello at adriftpodcast.com. And Annabelle, I suspect this is it now. Oh, yes. Have you thought about how long you're going to, Take off? Um, I don't know, a couple of weeks. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> can I get back to you? Yeah. I mean, it'd be helpful for you to know. I, I can see that. I'll be, uh, I'll be haranguing you okay, regularly. Good. good, good, good. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.